Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buy four tires and get up to $200 in savings after rebate at Bell Tire's year-end sale. Or get even more in Bell Tire gift cards, December 26th through January 7th. Plus, get tires as low as $49 after rebate. Get up to $200 in savings. Or get even more in gift cards, December 26th through January 7th. Get up to $200 in savings and choose the lowest tire price, period, at Bell Tire. 100 years of getting folks safely back on the road fast and affordably. See store or belltire.com for details. Restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, John Elway, plus the fourth highest winning percentage in the 1980s, plus five division titles in seven years, plus three Super Bowl appearances, equals zero titles. Eventually, the Denver Broncos learned how to do math, just not in the 80s. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, I'm ready. I have a single sheet of paper with some notes on it, and I am ready to do this thing. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals. You already know this stuff. Congratulations. Listen anyway, and nod your head. Yes, yep, yeah, yeah. But I'm not above reproach. I'm not above correction. So if you have facts, this is a historical show, please let me know. DM me or just straight up, hey, on Twitter, Mike. This is what this is this this is that all right so i'm always trying to learn i'm always trying to do three things enlighten teach and learn that's the mantra all right it is the behind the mic podcast i'm your host michael neal jr this show is presented by belly up sports the belly up sports podcast network bellyupsports.com click on it read the articles listen to the shows especially mine and you can catch all of us on our home base of spreaker also the favorites Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, people love that, and YouTube. So, doing the show uh, a while back, we did it on the New York Giants, and there's a team in the 1980s that I know I cannot leave out. I mean, there's more. There are more, and I'm doing some more next week, and this one today is actually going to be a second part to us. You have to stay tuned for the 90s, okay? But looking at it, you know, from all of these 
teams that we've been concentrated on, these franchises that have been great from dynasties to just good teams, ones whether they made Super Bowls or not, most of them did, or championship levels, all right? Um, the Denver Broncos, they were one of my favorite teams, and I loved John Elway. But the Denver Broncos, they started off not so well, and then they got good, and things just didn't work out the way that you thought that they would. But the 80s and the 90s Broncos, though, they were a squad. I mean, their story, let's put it, let's keep it at that. Their story is, it's almost like a movie. It's perfect for a movie script, okay? If you start with, John Elway alone. And if you want to go back a little bit further, you can. And we will. But the whole story is just, it's crazy the way that football happens. It's crazy the way sports happens. And the way your football life can happen on any level. And their story is really, really intriguing. So to understand their history, of course, we're going to start all the way back. Kick the music. The Denver Broncos were one of the original eight AFL franchises in 1960. And not until 1973 did Denver actually break 500. They were never 500 until then. Okay, so what, 14 years? And during their 10-year AFL seasons, they were bad. Okay, 39-97-4 record. That was the worst in the league. That's pretty bad. So they had some work to do. Many will always speak, though, of like the Jets, the, uh, the New York Jets beating the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl three, and the Kansas City Chiefs beating the Minnesota Vikings. The AFL team beat the heavily favored NFL team. Think what? The Jets were favored by 15, 16 points, and I believe that the Vikings were actually favored by Vegas 18 points. Chiefs were 18-point underdogs, and they beat them in those last two AFL-NFL championship games. Well, the first team to actually beat an NFL team was the were the Denver Broncos. This was back in 1967. They beat the Detroit Lions 13-7. Okay. And fast forward to the guy who actually got them over the 500 hump. In 1972, new Bronco head coach John Ralston began his five-year run that saw the Broncos' first three winning seasons in their history, and they topped out in 1976 in nine, uh, at 9-5. and five. That was their record. Remember, they were only playing 14 games back then. He steps down. January 31st, 1977. He was replaced by Red Miller. He was a lifetime offensive line coach going all the way back to 1960. He was with several teams, the Boston Patriots, the Buffalo Bills. He even was with the Broncos from 63 to 65. Then St. Louis Cardinals, the Baltimore Colts, and then he ended up back with the Patriots as the New England Patriots, that is, from 73 to 76. Ralston left right when the team would peak. 1977 introduced the football world to Bronco Mania. <laughs> and at the time, Craig Morton was the quarterback. They needed to get over the hump, right? So they hire Red Miller, and then they also bring in um, a capable quarterback that had been around since what the uh, the early mid 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 to early 60s. I can't remember Craig Morton's first year. I want to say it's like around 61, 62. So they brought him in. Craig Morton, he was the former Dallas Cowboy starter. Okay. And if anybody remembers that Super Bowl five team, he was the starting quarterback that got the Cowboys into that big game. 
Well, remember um, during that time you had Don, Dandy Don Meredith. He was the quarterback before Morton was, and they could never get to the championship. You know, Green Bay was always in the way. Eventually, uh, they will go with Morton. Morton and those Cowboys, they reached the championship game finally, only to lose in a game that was just, you know, it made your eyes bleed. There were so many turnovers. I mean, it was so bad, if you don't know, that that was the first time in a Super Bowl, and still the only time in Super Bowl history that a member of the losing team was named MVP, Chuck Howley, uh, the linebacker for Dallas. But Morton and the Cowboys, they lost that game to the Colts on a last-minute kick, and they should have put the game away. All right, so he ends up losing his job to Roger Staubach, who ended up as a 27-year-old rookie. I think he finally came in in 1969. He was drafted in 64. Of course, he was in the Navy. And then he loses his job the next season because Tom Landry can't make up his mind. <laughs> he's got Staubach and he's got Craig Morton, and they're going back and forth during that 71 season. He finally, uh, after what, I think it was the game against San Francisco or whoever it was, they literally were switching the quarterbacks in and out every other play. Nobody, to my knowledge, had even done that before. And the team said, give us a quarterback, Tom Landry. And he said, okay. And they settled in on Roger Staubach, Hall of Famer to be, and the rest is history. Eventually, they won Super Bowl VI. They beat the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, Staubach was the man. Morton ended up eventually with the New York Giants, and subsequently, that's where he was traded away from to land with the Broncos. So he leads them that season, uh, along with the Orange Crush defense, aptly named by Woody Page, who was a columnist in that uh, in Colorado at the time. And that defense was the number one defense in the NFL. They had a couple all pros. Maybe you heard of Lyle Alzado. Maybe you didn't hear, unless you're a Broncos fan, Randy Gratishar, Tom Jackson. I know you know Tom Jackson. Yes, ESPN Tom Jackson, the linebacker. And a guy by the name of Bill Thompson. Morton ended up being the comeback player of the year. And Miller was the coach of the year. And this is after they went 12-2 for the season. And they ended the 70s Raiders run in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> of course, they went to Super Bowl 12, And Morton met his old Dallas Cowboy coaching teammates. And they got the beats 27 to 10 in, in that game. And that game was not pretty either. It's so funny. The two of the first 12 Super Bowls that were really trash as far as, you know, mistakes. And he threw four, four picks in that game. Morton was the starting quarterback for both of the losing teams. I mean, no shade, but hey, I mean, they got there. They did get there. Uh, Red Miller, like I said, yeah, he, he won coach of the year. And it, it, it kind of went downhill after that for Red Miller and those Broncos. The next two seasons, his teams would finish 10 and six, 10 and six, excuse me. They had two more playoff appearances, but they lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers in 78. Okay, no shade, they won the Super Bowl that year. Of course, they won it the year after that too, after beating the Houston Oilers in the AFC Championship game. The other team that Denver loses to, right? Red Miller was fired after the 1980 season, his fourth year in, they finished eight and eight. New owner, Edgar Kaiser Jr., cleaned house, all right? So in his place, the Broncos hire Cowboy offensive coordinator and former player, Dan Reeves, as its new head coach in 1981. 
The 81 team, Reeves team, you know, he had some leftovers from the 77 season. A couple of guys that were still there that made the team at least halfway strong. Morton was still there. They had a guy who was a rookie at that time in 77, Rob Lytle. And receivers like Haven Moses and Rick Upchurch. Um, linebacker Bob Swenson, he was an all-pro. Randy, Randy Gratishar, he was a Pro Bowl-level guy, as was Tom Jackson. They were still there, as well as a cornerback by the name of Lewis Wright. This guy should be in the Hall of Fame one day, by the way. And then there was a receiver that came in in 1979, Steve Watson. He had his first Pro Bowl season that year. Uh, he broke through uh, and had, what, 60 catches. He had 1,200 yards and 13 touchdowns. And then there was a guy that was in his second year, defensive end. And they had a strong defense, Rulon Jones. 1980, you know, he had eight, nine and a half sacks. In 1980, he came in. In 81, he had nine and a half sacks. And then there's Dennis Smith, who was drafted, safety. He was a rookie that year. Of course, he really kicked off things in 1983. So that was one of Reeves' uh, guys for the future. All right. Lastly, the San Francisco 49ers, they had traded quarterback Steve DeBerg to Denver. More on that later. Morton had his best season uh, in his entire career at age 38. 3,195 yards, 21 touchdown passes. Now, the 81 Broncos were 10 and 6. They missed the playoffs. Okay. No problem. Well, in 1982, they were 2-7. and seven. The strike shortened season, it was bad. That earned them the fourth pick overall in the 1983 draft. Now, back to Steve DeBerg. As it, his story, I think I should, you know, go deep into his story at one point. Because, all right, so 1977, he was with the San Francisco 49ers. 78, the next year, because I think he was an undrafted uh, guy who ended up, you know, playing his way onto the team. But in 78, DeBerg led the league in completions and attempts, and he threw for 3,600 yards. I mean, guys weren't doing that yet, not on a regular basis, okay? Remember the times. He only had 17 touchdown passes, though, and 21 picks. Of course, 79, he loses his job to Joe Montana. Go figure. In 1981, he's traded to Denver. Craig Morton retired after that 82 season. Then came the 1983 draft. Enter Stanford Cardinal quarterback John Elway, the best number one overall prospect and the best thing since sliced bread, right? Not only, uh, well, he was the best quarterback talent to come out of college ever at the time. Powerful arm, mobility, but of course, there was a slight problem. Well, he didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts because he was going to be the number one overall pick, okay? So, why did he want to go to Baltimore? Not only did they stink, but they he and his father, Jack, they didn't like Frank Cush, who was the head coach. I mean, Cush was on another job, you know, miraculously after coaching so long at Arizona State. Why was he not at Arizona State no more? Basically, he put hands on a player. And, you know, the team was pretty much, under, the program was going down the tubes up under his watch. And then there's the owner, Robert Ursay. Robert Ursay wasn't, and we've talked about him before, but he wasn't, I guess, he wasn't, the, let's just put it like this. You know, I'll make it simple. He wasn't friends with a lot of other owners, okay? And he wasn't a guy that was a football guy, but he did own the team. Remember that he and Carol Rosenblum had made a swap. Ursay bought the Rams, and Rosenblum was trying to get out of Baltimore because Baltimore would not get him a new stadium. And so they swapped franchises. 
and that's how he ended up with the Colts. So, but Robert Ursay, I mean, he had a bad team, and they had really fallen on hard times. Even in the late 1980s, they were actually starting to turn things up a little bit, but they were not good, you know, after, especially in those later mid, going into the late 70s. And so they had the number one pick overall. And then you have the whole 1983 draft thing where the GM at the time, Ernie, of course, who had been on the sidelines for the Colts Super Bowl V uh, victory. I forgot the position that he held, but he was elevated quickly to being the GM. He says to Robert Ursay, I'm going to make uh, Elway the number one pick, even though the Elways had made it public. We do not want to play for you, and we're not going to play for you. And of course, Elway had baseball to fall back on. He was drafted by the Yankees. He had spent a summer of 82 in their, uh, in their system and led them in every category, every single category. And, you know, but Ernie, of course, he said, look, I'm picking the best player. I'm not going to just give this guy up easily. Well, in the end, of course, they draft him anyway. And Elway says, I'm going to play baseball. Eventually, Ursay takes over the negotiations and pretty much puts, of course, he out of his office. And six days later, Elway is traded from Baltimore to Denver instead of getting those those what I think it was like three number ones uh, and a and two players that that's the, that was a high price tag that of course he wanted instead of getting all of that, Ursay <laughs> got him on the cheap <laughs> or Ursay gave him away for the cheap put it that way he got him for from Denver Denver only gave up an 84 first round pick Chris Hinton who was a guard out of Northwestern whom they picked at number four. And, and that was a guy that Robert Ursay did like, by the way. And then Denver backup quarterback, Mark Harmon. All right. Well, you know, nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> they are not perfect. Um, but then, you know, much like uh, in, in, during that 83 season, by the way, they ended up going 9-7, and seven, the Broncos did. They lost in the wild card to Seattle. And much like his pre, uh, his. I don't want to say not predecessor. That's not the right word. Just remember that Dan Reeves was a player coach, okay, up under Tom Landry. And Tom Landry uh, did the thing he did in 1971, flip-flopping the quarterbacks, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> you learn from some of the best. Yes, Tom Landry was a Hall of Fame coach, but there were some things. Everybody's not perfect, and he made some mistakes. And I think that Dan Reeves was really reaching instead of allowing John Elway to just continue to learn on the job. Well, he flip-flopped between Steve DeBerg and John Elway during that season, just like <laughs> Tom Landry did back in 71, the team that he was, was there for. Um, but in the end, and even the backup, Gary Kubiak, who was drafted that same, that same 83 draft, he even got some shots because Elway got hurt. And DeBerg was a little inept, and so was El, uh, Elway, for that matter, some games. The 84 season, they actually burst through. They were 13-3, but then they lost the division around to the Pittsburgh Steelers of all teams. Um, that 84 year, uh, yet they had a running back by the name of Sammy Winder. He was one of the few pro bowlers on offense that John Elway would play with in those 80s years. Okay, He had, what, 1,100 yards rushing? But you know he was a he was a pretty decent running back and could get things done. Steve Watson he's still a thousand yard guy. Eighty five they missed the playoffs even though they were eleven and five. They had some few bright spots. 
a 12th round pick, uh, Carl Mecklenburg. Uh, he was he made the first of his four All Pro selections. Ended up being what a six time Pro Bowler. Dennis Smith, Ruline Jones, Lewis Wright. You know they had some some pretty good talent on the defensive side, uh, but the offensive side lacked. They did lack. The 86 season though, well. That would be both John Elway's and the Denver, Denver Broncos' real breakthrough year. With all the success that the Broncos would enjoy for the rest of the 80s, it didn't have that storybook ending. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Buy four tires and get up to $200 in savings after rebate at Bell Tire's year-end sale. Or get even more in Bell Tire gift cards, December 26th through January 7th. Plus, get tires as low as $49 after rebate. Get up to $200 in savings. Or get even more in gift cards, December 26th through January 7th. Get up to $200 in savings and choose the lowest tire price, period, at Bell Tire. 100 years of getting folks safely back on the road fast and affordably. See store or belltire.com for details. Restrictions apply. seems like every show or at least every other show i'm mentioning the cleveland browns <laughs> i'm paul brown for that matter so i mean understand this though the the browns played a huge role in the success of the denver broncos over the next four seasons i'll just go ahead and tell you okay we're not gonna go season by season like that the denver broncos played the cleveland browns in the afc championship game three of the next four years so these are two teams that have fallen on hard times. I mean, the, the Browns as well as the Broncos had some playoff appearances in the early 80s, but they were not doing well. They had fell off the wagon. Okay, Both teams were already – well, at least the Browns, they came in the NFL with a championship pedigree. But, of course, since 1964, they had not won any kind of championship football wise period okay so just i mean cleveland knights they know about this january 11th 1987 cleveland municipal stadium afc championship game this is where it all started for the both of these teams one was really on the way up the other one on its way down well not just yet the cleveland browns they finished the 86 season 12 and 4 Denver was 11-5, and, and they won the AFC West for the second time, I believe, in four years. They had some new blood on offense. They drafted Vance Johnson. They drafted in 85, that is. Mark Jackson was brought in that season. He was a rookie in 86. And then they also had running back Steve Sewell, a 6'4 H-back. He was a running back, but the guy was a guy that would catch the football a lot. Uh, you also had guys like Greg Cragen at low nose tackle, and then they uh, had Simon Fletcher who would come on. Well, the Browns, they featured five pro bowlers themselves. You had Bob Golick, yes, Mike Golick's brother, Chip Banks and Cody Reason, um, Frank Minifield, love that dude, uh, and the all-pro corner, Hanford Dixon. But the man was Bernie Kozar. He was the second-year quarterback out of Miami, okay? 
both he and I believe it may have been Marty Schottenheimer's second year, and they had already gotten Cleveland back to some winning ways pretty quickly. Uh, the Broncos, they had their share of Pro Bowlers as well. John Elway actually made his first Pro Bowl that season, and he finally threw more touchdowns than picks. Guard Keith Bishop, along with defenders like Dennis Smith and Rulon Jones, they had all pro in Carl Mecklenburg again. But fast forward to the fourth quarter of that game. Game is tied at 13. Cleveland goes up 20 to 13 uh, after a 48-yard bomb from Kosar to receiver Brian Brennan. Okay, well, following the, the following kickoff, the former Washington MVP kicker Mark Mosley, he low-line drives a kickoff and reserve running back Ken Bell, he pounces on that bouncing ball that they were standing on the 10-yard line. And I think he was afraid that it was going to not roll in completely into the end zone. So he pounced on it at the two. Now, to be told, if you go back and watch it, there's a lot of Cleveland Browns players standing around him. Uh, they got there about the same time he pounced on that ball. So maybe it, some people say that he panicked. I kind of think that he made a smart play. though, Because Cleveland recovers that ball, that's it. That's it. There, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal, I think I think it's a touchdown. That's it. That is the game. But anyway, Elway proceeds to lead his team on what legendarily ends up being called, quote-unquote, the drive. Cleveland, you could turn this off. You probably already did. <laughs> 15 plays, 98 yards in five minutes and two seconds. It ended with a five-yard touchdown pass to rookie Mark Jackson. Um, and in overtime... The Browns, they had a three and out. Elway and the Broncos, they drive 59 yards. And then Rich Carlos, I still don't understand this dude catching. Kicking the football barefooted. And I know it was cold. It was Cleveland. Okay, where you can see your breath. And he's kicking a football barefoot. uh, This winter, I want you to go out in deep December or in January when it's cold. And kick a football with no shoe on. All right, that's what I'm talking about. He nailed a 33-yard field goal to put the Broncos in Super Bowl 21. So, <laughs> it sent everybody home. The next year, 1987 season, the Broncos, they host the AFC Championship at Mile High Stadium. First time since 1977, okay? John Elway had won MVP that year. Denver was 10-4-1. Cleveland, they were 10-5. The fourth quarter, Denver is up late and, what, 38-31. Ernest Biner, God love him. He's having, what, almost 200 yards of total offense. He finished the game with, like, 120 yards receiving and 67 yards rushing. But there's a minute and 12 seconds left, and he's he, he gets the ball off the left side. He's going in. There's no doubt he's running into the end zone. And defensive back Jeremiah Castile strips him right there at the one-yard line. The fumble. That's what the game became known as the fumble <laughs> and that I mean that's that's wow that's wild and then you know I think Denver they run a couple of plays and they end up uh the punter Mike Horan think he runs out of the back of the end zone for a safety but the game is over you know pretty much final score 38-33 Denver they go on to Super Bowl 22 in 1988 Denver missed the playoffs they were only 8-8 eight eight. Cleveland was 10-6 and, and that's the year that Tony Dorsett at age 34, was playing with Denver. So Mike Shanahan, by the way, who was key, he is hired away. He's the wide receiver coach and offensive coordinator in 85, and he's a guy that was more creative and actually got John Elway 
to the point to where he was and opened that offense up. Again, I said he had more touchdowns and interceptions finally. And he ended up winning MVP in 87. 88, you know, Al Davis. And I read where Davis, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I don't even gonna lie. That's smart. He hires away really good assistant coaches only to kind of bury them uh, and maybe even fire them if they're not doing well for his team. But I, I took him out of the AFC West team. I take him off the Chiefs. I take him off the Broncos. I take him off the Seattle Seahawks. That was the AFC West back then. Seattle wasn't in the NFC. Okay, so he was getting these guys. You know, I'm not, you know, that was that's that was smart. But anyway, 1989, the Broncos are back to 11 and 5. Alabama running back Bobby Humphrey ends up a first rounder in the supplemental draft that year and he runs for 1100 yards and seven touchdowns and pretty much sammy winder and gerald wilhite they weren't getting the carries that they used used to get of course and uh i mean that's what it was that's what it was they got them a dynamite running back you know that they could depend on and well there you go the cleveland browns they finished that season nine six and one they won the afc central the afc championship wasn't the contest so it really wasn't and the Broncos, they led, what, 24-7 in the third quarter. Cleveland stormed back and got within three. I think it was 24-21. But then 13 unanswered points later, Denver's in Super Bowl 24 with a 37-21 win. All right. Now to the Super Bowls. Well, Super Bowl 21 did not end very well. None of these Super Bowls ended well for the Denver Broncos. Each one was worse and worse and worse. And it started off good. And all of them did. They started off good. The 86 season, it ended in Pasadena, California against the New York Giants. The first half of Super Bowl 21, Denver led 10 to 9. And they may have been more. Denver actually scored the first 10 points. It was 10 to nothing. Rich Carlos, he set a Super Bowl record at that time with a 48-yard field goal. Then he turned around and set another for the shortest field goal miss. Okay? <laughs> he missed a 23-yarder. They got all the way down, first down at the Giants' one-yard line. And LT and them boys and Carl Banks and, and Carson, they, they locked in on Elway and Sammy Winder. And, I mean, they could they could not, they couldn't get anything. They got zero points on that drive. And then they turned around and they scored, they, I mean, they had scored a touchdown themselves. And in all, truth be told, Denver should have led that game 17-7 at that point. And even some Giants players have said if they had scored like that, then we there's no telling how that game would have ended. We probably would have lost the game. That's that's not what happened. Giants got a safety, uh, by the way. And just before the half, Carlos missed another field goal, a 34-yarder. So 10-9 lead at the half. Second half was all Giants, 24 to nothing, before Elway threw a last-minute touchdown pass to Vance Johnson. The final score was 39 to 20. You know, Phil Sims, he sets a Super Bowl record. Completing 88% of his passes, 22 of 25, and three touchdowns. The next year, Super Bowl 22, we're in Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, California. Once again, Denver gets out to another 10-0 lead on Washington. Did I mention that Washington quarterback Doug Williams, who was the first black, or let's just say the first African-American to start a Super Bowl at quarterback, he injured his knee, kind of slid, slid, and, and fell awkwardly. Yeah, he was all right. If you was a Bronco fan then, you were thinking that finally we're going to get one. Nah. That's when the wheels fell off. Bill Sims, you know, he set completion percentage record, right? 
Well, Doug Williams and Washington, that offense, that whole offense went plumb off. Doug Williams, Super Bowl record, 340 yards passing at the time. Four touchdowns record at the time. Backup running back, who was named the starter before kickoff, by the way, by Joe Gibbs. Timmy Smith, he ran for 204 yards and two touchdowns. A backup. Dude wasn't supposed to even play. Let alone be a back, be the starter. And then Ricky Sanders, he had 193 yards and two scores. He set a receiving yards record. That's that's nuts. And worst of all, Washington scores 35 unanswered points in the second quarter alone. Another Super Bowl record. There was many more. There were many more records set that day. I'm not even gonna go in them. But both games, they just seemed to repeat themselves as far as Elway was concerned. Elway was the only offense that Denver really had in both games. He led them in rushing against the Giants with just 27 yards. And he threw for 304. Um, and the last touchdown that he threw in, in against the Giants, that was the only one he had. So Washington, he was worse. 14 completions out of 38 attempts, three interceptions. He had a touchdown pass, but that was early. He even caught a pass. They, they really thought they was going to win. I mean, they threw the halfback pass back to the quarterback. Whew, you thought that it was going, it was on. It was up 10-0. It's like, we ain't playing this year. Nah, nah. 42-10. That was the final. That, that was the final. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, all right, so they had the, you know, the 88 season where they didn't make the playoffs. They get back to the Super Bowl, um, in January 28th, 1990, this one, Super Bowl 24 in the Louisiana Superdome. They ran into a team that was trying to prove a point after, and it's not that they didn't, that they disliked, some of them probably did, that they disliked Bill Walsh, but Bill Walsh got pretty much all the genius, got all of the kudos for that dynasty and the success of those teams. And that they were just peaking. They peaked, that's, this is when... They were the best of the best of the best at that time. The 89 San Francisco 49ers is the last Super Bowl that they won in that 80s dynasty. And the score is still a record today, 55 to 10. 55 to 10. Joe Montana throws a record five touchdown passes. Jerry Rice catches three of them, has 148 yards. And also find out that Okay, so Charlie Waters used to play for the Dallas Cowboys, right? Well, he ends up taking a job as the defensive backs coach um, for the Denver Broncos. That's where he worked, you know, I think going even into the 90s. And they're saying, uh, as far as the, the, the defensive coordinator, Joe Collier, who had been with Denver for 22 years, he ended up being fired after the 88 season, I believe it was, because he wasn't around for 89. And the new defensive coordinator was somebody by the name of Wade Phillips. Yeah, Wade, that Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips was an aggressive style guy, took after his father, Bum Phillips, who was the coach, you know, for, for some years with the Houston Oilers and also with the, um, you know, the little bit that he coached with the Saints. But Wade was always blitz, 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 play man, and let's get after the quarterback. Well, his defense was susceptible to the slant. They threw so many slants in that West Coast offense. And the thing was, if you go back and watch that game, they were destroying them with that. Joe Montana had said it himself that they are not playing the, the defense that I thought that they would. Collier, 
had played more of a zone scheme that gave the 49ers fits. And they actually beat them twice, you know, in the past. Even with those great teams, they the Broncos beat them twice in the past and limited their their you know their the scoring. Period. Well, you know, Dan Reeves and Carrier, they couldn't get along, they butted heads, and so Reeves fired him. Well, I mean, there's still a record today because John Elway actually went to Charlie Waters and Wade Phillips and they didn't want to hear it. He's like, look, I know this offense. It's Stanford. We played this offense. Where did Bill Walsh come from? Stanford. Who was running the West Coast offense? Stanford. Who was also running the West Coast offense? It, it was San Francisco. And look, this is what they're going to do. And they did it and they didn't adjust and it was, it was a crap show. Okay, it really, really was. The Broncos, each time they reached the big game, they faced teams laden with Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, look at the list. You got coaches like Bill Parcells. Uh, you got Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Steve Young. I mean, and Young was the backup for Montana. You know, I guess I shouldn't have included him yet. But Ronnie Lott, Charles Haley, Joe Gibbs, Daryl Green. Not to mention the long list of Pro Bowlers and All Pros on all these teams that I didn't name. The Denver Broncos, they had the fourth highest winning percentage in the NFL during those 1980s, trailing only Miami, Washington, and San Francisco. <laughs> teams that made multiple appearances in the Super Bowl, just like Denver. As good as the Broncos had become, there was internal strife that held them back. Sometimes, sometimes, changes must be made to reach the ultimate goal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Buy four tires and get up to $200 in savings after rebate at Bell Tire's year-end sale. Or get even more in Bell Tire gift cards December 26th through January 7th. Plus, get tires as low as $49 after rebate. Get up to $200 in savings. Or get even more in gift cards December 26th through January 7th. Get up to $200 in savings. And choose the lowest tire price, period, at Bell Tire. 100 years of getting folks safely back on the road fast and affordably. See storebelltire.com for details. Restrictions apply. Now open in Elgin. You ever watch a movie? And I know I've probably said this before if you're a regular listener, but I just love this whole setup. You watch a movie and you have, you know, I guess you could call them the hero or the main character. And you see how they start things off and, you know, they're trying to reach a goal and you see them in the beginnings of getting to that goal, and then they impress somebody, and they finally uh, get to the point where they're doing well. And then there's a part in the middle of the movie where stuff just goes terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. I think we got to that point with the Denver Broncos in 1990, 91, 92. You know, things, they're all right, and then they just, ah. And right now, at this period, at the end of the 80s, 
you have all these Super Bowls that you've made and you have nothing to show for it. People think just getting there, yeah, you should be happy that you get there. No. And for John Elway, you have a, imagine being a quarterback that has all these expectations. Now, did he bring some of that somewhat on himself? Maybe. Uh, because he didn't want to play for Baltimore, which I didn't blame him. You know, would you want to play for an inept coach and an inept uh, owner and an inept team that eventually moved out of town after that, you know, bum season that they had again? You know, they just left Baltimore in the middle of the night. Going to do a show on that one day. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's just crazy the way that things can happen. But not everything works out the way that you're thinking it's going to work. But maybe just not yet. You haven't gotten to that point yet. There's a little bit more that you have to go through before you actually reach the top, right? I'm reading a book right now called Elway, A Relentless Life. It's written by a guy by the name of uh, Jason Cole. There's a line that speaks volumes that he wrote about Dan Reeves and what him, he, and coaches, other coaches were in for. And I'm going to quote it. The era of the quarterback was about to overwhelm the era of the coach. Ooh-wee. Boy, was he. And this is going from the, the, the late 70s going into the mid-80s. They, they saw it coming back then. I mean, why else do you have quarterbacks drafted at the top? They, they talk about who's the next quarterback, who is the, the college prospect. You got Bryce Young and, and all these. Anthony Richardson already, after being pretty bad and inept as a passer, even you know going into last year, this year, that Florida Gators, they surprised the crap out of me. I did not pick them to win that game Saturday, and that dude just looks totally different. And already at the bottom of the screen, the graphic. He's, he's already 12th in next year's draft projections. 12th overall, I think, maybe not just as a quarterback prospect. And after that game, you know, if you saw the, the pump, the jump pump, and then rolling around and then throwing to a wide-open guy, I mean, the dude looks dangerous. We don't know. I'm not going to pass judgment on anybody until I see what you do. I need to see what you do. But the quarterback is the all-important be-all end-all, especially now that you throw the football. We was just getting started back then, and Dan Reeves just came from a different time and a different era. It's well documented that Elway and Reeves, they had relationship problems. They did not get along. And it's still, if you go back, John Elway's freedom that he had in high school, high school and in college, because it not only was he a very talented athlete, you allow these guys to have some kind of input because they came from the era is like do as i say and don't ask any questions and don't 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 even suggest anything because what i'm telling you to do i want you to do it the way i want you to do it sound familiar and you know reeves he was more militant a good coach but militant and it's centered around their their thing was centered around play calling you have to understand dan reeves and where he came from the culture in which he grew up in the coaching legend that he learned under Tom Landry. And you look at all these coaches like Landry and George Hallis, Paul Brown, Vince Lombardi, Don Shula, Chuck Noll, and any other coach of that era, that, that's what they came through. They came through the war era. World War I, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam. That's how they were brought up and that's how they were taught and that's what they did. And, and that, remember, I mean, it sounds a lot like Paul Brown. Paul Brown did not accept anything from anybody. It's do like I say it and don't don't interfere and don't ask any questions. Okay. Part of the reason why he got fired by Art Modell in the first place, because they he wanted to do everything 
and the owner wanted to be able to help out and do have some input as well well some not all owners should do that but <laughs> there you go <laughs> i'm gonna leave that alone but i mean for instance uh paul brown you know made his, he made some personnel mistakes in his career that could have made his team better had he been a little bit more open to change and listen to somebody for a change but with reeves and elway didn't stop there okay the offense itself was dated reeves was running tom landry's offense the numbering system was backwards because he was a uh, defensive coach and he did things inverted because he's looking at it from a defensive perspective okay as innovative an offensive coach he was he was a defensive minded guy as well um it was the wordiest in league history i mean 15 to 20 words for a play call it sounds kind of fit, uh similar to now but i don't even know if they go that long do they it was just in a lot of the words did not make any sense elway was a 56 percent passer for his career He's a Hall of Famer, but 56% pass for his career. But they didn't rely on throwing some balls to the running backs and, and all that. Running backs, you run the football, and we play action for deep passing. Low percentage. That's what they was doing. Running backs and tight ends, they rarely ca caught the football. Now, from John Elway's own mouth, he said that like Clarence K had bad hands. <laughs> so I guess I'm not going to throw to that tight end. I mean, wait till, till the 90s, the guy that you ended up in the 90s. But uh, those easier completions that help a quarterback in a lot of ways. And it opens up the offense as well. Be a little bit more creative. And that's what Mike Shanahan was actually doing. Okay, these are the kind of things it was like scripting the first 15 plays. L, uh, Reeves didn't want them to do it. Um, I mean, <laughs> sometimes you got to listen. So, but to Dan Reeves' credit, one of the things um, that he did well, Reeves is running balance the offense a lot and it kept the games close and it helped his defense out but it could have been so much better and this is the quandary that i have and just just looking at it at its base it's amazing that the way that that system was put together and the, the broncos had the success that they did but it's really based on john elway pulling plays out of his butt truth be told reason elway they definitely carried that offense in their own ways but then there's the aftermath. One thing about great teams, let alone dynasties, is that they all had Hall of Famers. As far as players that John Elway played with, zero. In the 80s, in the 1980s. And even if someone does get inducted eventually, remember, today is September 6th, 2022. Carl Mecklenburg is not in the Hall of Fame. Okay, he probably was the best defender in the 80s that they had he was a multiple time pro bowler and all of that but nobody's in the hall of fame yet offense definitely not just him just him now pat bowling who bought the team from edgar kaiser jr a year after uh they landed elway and kaiser was a big big player in that by the way um he was inducted in 2019 and like i said i'm talking about the 80s not the 90s there were a couple of multiple time pro bowlers not in the Hall of Fame. Linebacker Randy Gratishar, he's another one, but his last year was Elway's first. He had been there with the Broncos since 74. The guy had been a finalist three times for the Pro Football Hall of Fame during his 10 years in the NFL, though. He was a seven-time Pro Bowler and a two-time first-team All-Pro, the 78 NFL Defensive Player of the Year, and he's just one of 10 linebackers in NFL history with at least seven Pro Bowlers 
20 uh, Pro Bowlers, seven Pro Bowls, 20 interceptions, and 13 fumble recoveries. And how about linebacker Tom Jackson? We all know about what he did at ESPN. We know him and love him for those 29 years he spent with ESPN. But before that, he was a three-time Pro Bowl linebacker in the 14 years he played with the Broncos, as was cornerback Lewis Wright, who was a five-time Pro Bowler and twice an All-Pro. Now, their last games, both of them, was Super Bowl 21 against the Giants, and then they were gone. Rulon Jones, defensive end, he came to the team in 1980. Two-time Pro Bowl guy. All-Pro in 1986. But he was a backup by 1988. He retired the following year. Again, I keep mentioning Mecklenburg, and then there's also Simon Fletcher, two more linebackers. Notice I'm naming a lot of defensive guys, right? Mecklenburg, he was a 12th-round pick in that same 1980 draft, 83 draft, excuse me, as Elway. And he'll, I think he will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day. Six-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro. He retired after the 94 season. Fletcher finished his 11-year career uh, with Denver. He set the Broncos' sack record with 97 and a half, and that stood for 20 years until Von Miller came along and broke it. But the crazy part, he never made a Pro Bowl. And the only reason why you have that is because they have to be some guys in front of you that's doing it. I mean, you're having 10, 11, 16 sacks seasons, and he's not even getting in as an AFC linebacker in the Pro Bowl. And then there's Dennis Smith, safety, who ended up being a six-time Pro Bowler himself. One of the hardest hitting safeties in the game. He retired after 94 as well. Um, and he retired as the Broncos all-team, all-time leading tackler. Now, as for the offense, you had running backs like Gerald Wilhite. He was always hurt. Um, Sammy Winder, he was a two-time Pro Bowler, and he was a backup by 89 and retired after the 90 season. The guy that took his place was Bobby Humphrey because he was drafted in the first round. And Humphrey only lasted three seasons with Denver. Why? Contract dispute. He was replaced uh, and traded to the Miami Dolphins. And Ravens fans, you should know his son, cornerback Marlon Humphrey. Steve Sewell, that tall H-back, he played seven years in Denver. He retired after the 91 season. And as far as those receivers, of course, Steve Watson, he had already been there. And he was gone after that Super Bowl 22 beatdown. And he was the second all-time leading receiver only to Lionel Taylor uh, as far as receiving is concerned. Then you have who were known as the three amigos, Vance Johnson, Mark Jackson, and Ricky Nettil. Now, Vance Johnson, he was one of the only, he was the only one, actually, of those three amigos to make uh, 1,000 yards and playing with Elway outside of Steve Watson. So he retired after the 95 season. He had substance abuse problems and domestic issues, uh, but he's been clean and sober since 2013. And he, after nearly dying, you know, uh, and even after that, he still got up and did more stuff. But something clicked, and he's been sober ever since. And he's a big advocate and spokesperson, um, you know, and helping others with substance abuse issues. And Mark Jack Jackson, he ended up going to the New York Giants in 1993 and actually fired, uh, followed Dan Reeves, and he finished his career in 94 with the Colts. Ricky Nettil, he was done by the end of the 92 season as well. He went on to coach some high school football in Florida where he, where he played his college ball and everything. And then there was two-time Pro Bowler guard Keith Bishop. He played for Denver from 80 to 89. He was done after that Super Bowl 24 beatdown. He ended up working for the DEA. And then John Elway actually, you know, invited him out. Hey, look, you know, I want you to become, you know, part of the Broncos security. And he accepted eventually. 
he's VP of Bronco Security, I think, to this day. They had some other guys like um, Ken Lanier. He was the right tackle for 14 years, well, 13 with Denver. Um, he retired in 94 after a year with the Raiders the season before that. Um, quarterback Gary Kubiak, he was nine years the backup. His final game was the 91 AFC Championship game against the Buffalo Bills. He took over for John Elway that day before um, well, Elway suffered a deep thigh bruise uh, early in the third quarter. And the guy connected on 11 of 12 passes and actually scored the Broncos' only touchdown of that game on a three-yard run. And, uh, I mean, they lost 10-7 to to the Bills uh, in Buffalo. But Kubiak, once he retired, he actually went back to his alma mater at Texas A&M and became a running backs coach, I believe. And then he returned to the NFL, had multiple jobs as an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach, including the Denver Broncos. And eventually he was hired as Denver's head coach by John Elway, leading them to a Super Bowl 50 victory in 2015. Now, Reeves was fired after the 92 season. Broncos were 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, Of course, he was hired the next season in 93 by the very team that beat him in the first Super Bowl his Broncos played in six years earlier, the New York Giants. During this time, 12 years with Denver, the Broncos were 110-73-1. They won five division uh, titles, four AFC Championship game appearances, and three Super Bowls. Say what you want, that's Hall of Fame worthy. And Reeves wasn't exactly done neither was Elway. Dan Reeves was there for Elway's first game, and he would be there for his last game. The story is only halfway over, but you're going to have to catch the 90s episode of those 90s Denver Broncos. I got so much more. That's it. That's it. I got to stop. I actually went longer than I thought I was going to be. References, references, thanks to ProFootballHalloFame.com, ProFootballReference.com, 20YardLine.com, multiple biographies on this with these Denver Broncos. That was a pretty decent website. TheSportsNotebook.com. Elway's breakthrough year with the 86 Denver Broncos. And this was Dan Flattery. NFL history articles, sports history articles. DenverBroncos.com. And there's this is an article written by Ben Swanson, August 17th, this year, 2022. Randy Gratishaw not selected for final consideration for Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2023. <sighs> He'll get there. I'm sure he'll get there. And then also the AP. This dated October 27th, 1987. Denver Broncos running back Gerald Wilhite has been lost for the season. Yeah, the guy broke his leg in two places Monday night against the uh, Minnesota Vikings. I didn't want to watch that. that. That was ugly. The Baltimore Sun retiring. Kubiak makes the most of his last chance. This written by Ken Murray. January 12th, 1992. God, I was so mad. I'm sorry, Bills fans. I wanted Elway and them in the Super Bowl again. DenverBroncos.com, the 1977, the magic season. Also, two books, the Sporting News Complete Super Bowl book, 1993 edition. Editors, Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. Also, Elway, A Relentless Life by Jason Cole. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Billy Up Sports, Billy Up Sports Podcast Network. Also, BillyUpSports.com, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. That's where you can find my show as well as others. Not on YouTube yet. Not on YouTube yet. I'm not lying to y'all. Tell all your friends and family about this show. I will find your house. I do work for FedEx. I'm out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.